0: We're in a series on holiness. We're approaching it from the aspect of being a consumer or a producer. And Today I want to share with you the three C's of consumerism. If we're going to identify and understand holiness, we, understand, we need to understand our fight with our flesh so that we will have a victory over it. There's three main categories that our flesh operates in, but let me help you understand what I mean by flesh. And the the nature of Adam being put aside, and the nature of Christ being given to us. When we were created, God put us in a physical body. And our bodies were a mechanism for the physical realm. We're, We're almost like a mechanical device that has sensory perception to the outside world. We feel pain, we feel warmth we understand taste, and we see all these sensory perceptions. It's a mechanism that triggers thoughts in the mind and in the brain, and we store them, and we move and act. And all of that was to house the very soul and spirit that God breathed into man. And this mechanism was made so that it could carry the uh, image of God within it and respond to a physical universe and and be productive and produce the nature of God into this world and, and to be creative and multiply and bring blessing. But when we fell, the spirit of God was separated and we are now dead to God as fallen in Adam. And so what we have left behind is just the mechanism and the mechanism still works. But it's not directed by the nature of God and and obedience to God. It's directed now by its own selfish needs to keep functioning. So you still have a functioning mechanism in this body and flesh. It still responds uh, when it's uh, titillated and what it lusts after and what it craves and what it desires. But there's no governor over it. There's nothing that keeps it in check and play. It, It just desires. It just wants. It just consumes. God had to step in and do something on our behalf. He needed to get us out of Adam. And the only way to get us out of Adam is you need to die. But if you die in that condition, you're condemned to hell. So God needs to rescue us out of Adam, and the only way to do it is to die. But if we die, we die as sinners eternally, and that's not a good solution, is it? But God had another solution and He sent His Word and put Him in this mechanism of flesh and what the law couldn't do, God did through this body in Jesus Christ and Christ died for us. So now God made a way for us to die but not die. He had us identify ourselves in the cross of Jesus Christ and die with Him on that cross so that when we died, that Adamic nature is put to death and we are now birthed in Christ. And now the holy nature of God is put in us again. And now we have something that resides in us in this container. The problem is the container still that mechanism of the flesh. And there is what Paul says is our trouble, isn't it? And so uh, the the power of God's Spirit is in us to direct us to do right and to follow after the nature of God and to produce the nature of God, but we still have those drives and, and that part of our flesh that we have to contend with and overcome. But now we have the power to overcome it. The power to no longer follow after the patterns of the flesh and its drives, but in fact now to follow after God through the power of His Spirit in us and that power of His Spirit is the very nature of God which is holiness. And now out of that nature we can live life and produce God's character and God's nature even through this body. And so now we're not going to use this body to serve flesh and unrighteousness. We're going to now serve and use this body as instruments of righteousness. And that's what the book of Romans is talking all about. And so what we need to be careful and watch for are these three C's that our body still conforms to and we want to overcome so that we can produce the righteous nature of God out of us. The three C's we have to look for today is coveting, convenience, and critical. These things are what drive us. And so the first one we're going to look at is coveting. Number one, to covet. To covet after something. You know, God said in the law in Exodus 20 verse 17, you shall not covet. And Most of us go right to the second part of it. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But there's more to it. In fact, what what the verse says is you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not cover his male or female servants. You shouldn't cover his ox. You shouldn't uh, covet his donkey. Basically, anything that belongs to your neighbor, you shouldn't covet. So what's the principle behind it? Consumerism. I want more. Keeping up with the Joneses. Right? Wow. It started in elementary school. You got a three-ring binder, but the kid next to you got the, the, the flap trap with the binder and the, and the magical ponies and the, and the eraser and the matching pencils. You got a stinking yellow number two. Now, today, in junior high, it was the jeans and the, and the kicks, the shoes. You got stupid kids, and they got Air Jordans. You live to upgrade, right? Everything's about upgrades, upgrade, upgrade. We covet this. You got a new iPhone; it's obsolete two months. We upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. We covet, we covet, we covet. We need this, and and we are in a society that is constantly telling you to upgrade. You are less if you don't have more. You are less if you don't have more. God tells us we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. Covet. It can be applied to even all the other commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Why would you steal? You covet, right? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why would you enter into a sexual relationship that you shouldn't? You're coveting. (laughs) You like what you see and want what you see. Idolatry. How is coveting idolatry? Colossians 3, 5, Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your flesh, your earthly nature. Put it to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, coveting, greed, which is idolatry. See, so thou shalt not have idolatry and create images. And, and so this concept of idolatry is even coveting. Why? Because it divides your heart's devotion to God. So you're putting something else in the image of God. God doesn't satisfy us enough. Isn't that something? See, we don't have, we don't have an awesome image of God. We're not blown away by God. We've made Jesus our best bud. He's our pal. He's our bro that we're so content and so relaxed with Him, we haven't seen Him in such a place to where He is high and lifted up and we fall in front of Him as dead because His glory is too much. The sword coming out of His mouth, His eyes are flaming fire and His feet are polished bronze and He is glorious in His image. We don't see Him that way and so we don't fear and reverence Him. So we covet. We need more. He doesn't entertain us enough. Every New Testament scripture about sin has the word covet in it. It's the root in the sense of man. 1 John 2.16 says, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, this is not of the Father of this world. It's not of the Father. And again, lust of the eyes, got to have it right? Lust of the flesh, I need more. Pride of life, I want to attain. It all comes back to this coveting thing. And so we need to check ourselves, and we need to really ask, why are we coveting? And if that's the consumer part, that's the flesh part of coveting, then what's the counterpart of producing? We need to produce contentment, to be satisfied. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 Paul says this, I I love this portion of Scripture, I have learned, say that with me, I have learned. It's a process, right? Say it again, I have learned. Not everybody's saying it, I'm disappointed. Say it again. I have learned. Thank you, thank you. Because I want you to get that into your heart. When you're working and you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, God is acting to move you and to make you will. His Spirit's stirring. It's a learning process. We're in a learning curve. Right? Your kids didn't learn to walk in a, in a day, in weeks. Right? You didn't kick them out of the house. You're two. You should walk now. Get out. You're broken. Something wrong with you. You were patient. And when they fell down, you said, Ah. No, you knew they were going to walk. We're learning to walk in Christ. We're learning to be content. And so Paul said this I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. I learned the secret. Wait a minute, that's Oprah's book. The Secret. Oprah has a secret. Speak to the universe, and the universe will never answer. <laughs> no, Paul says, I know the secret. I know the secret of facing plenty and being hungry, having abundance and being in need. I know the secret of being content. I learned it i understand it and this is it i can do all things through christ who strengthens me christ strengthens me christ satisfies me christ fills me up he said i know what it's like to be hungry the man was shipwrecked the man was beaten the man was stoned to death and it, i mean you don't get any lower than that yet he abounded he abounded in knowledge, and bounded in favor. He went to the third heavens. He saw heaven. Now, you can't abound any more than that. But what's on this earth? The best and the worst of. He says, none of that matters. I know the secret. It's Jesus. He's my satisfier. I know how to be content. I don't need to covet when I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need. My wife and I were talking yesterday. I think the that. Is, what is it, up to 11 million? Something like that. Saw it on a commercial. It's like, I need that. I could use that. What would you do with it? And then, I, you know, you just kind of play. Well, I think I do this and I do that. Well, we forgot to get a ticket. We never got, we didn't get a ticket. But you know what? I'm okay. <laughs> How many of you are okay because you're still sitting here? If you would have bought a ticket and won, you wouldn't be here today. <laughs> I know that. And you certainly wouldn't tell anybody here today because I'd tell you to tithe on it, so. (laughs) Pastor wouldn't be the one you call. I won the lottery! (laughs) Bless God. Let us pray. No, I'm content. I've got everything I need. How about you? Because I've learned, I've learned, I've learned. I have been, I don't know if I've been to the best yet, but i got room to grow there. Have I been to the worst? I've, I've been, it's been pretty bad, yeah. But I know one thing, who can, one person who can get me out, contentment. And so what contentment produces in us is a satisfaction in God. Covening is a consumerism that we're not pleased enough with God, but a content heart. And let me tell you a story that will drive it home. Jesus is walking on His way to ministry and ten lepers come. And they stand afar off. It's in the book of Luke. Luke 17, verses 11-19. to 19. Look it up, read the story. And they cry from afar off because they're unclean. And according to the law, they cannot approach someone who's clean. And so they cry afar, Jesus, Jesus, heal us, Lord. And they know that just a word from the master's mouth will bring healing. And he says, go to the priest and show him that you are clean. But you didn't do anything. Obedience. So, they, All right, let's go. The master said go. So they start walking to the priests, because the high priests were the doctors of the day. They were the ones who would look at the sores and see if you were clean or unclean, give you a bill of health that you could mingle with others or no longer mingle or whatever, what level of leprosy you were at, uh, open sores and so forth. And so they were on their way to show themselves to the, to the high priest. And it says that as they were going, they saw... That they were healed. Now I don't know if they felt anything. I don't know if they were missing fingers or anything. Because leprosy means that your nerve endings become so numb you can't feel things. So when you're cooking and stuff and you smell something burning, it's usually you. Or they scrape their foot. They don't know it's infected and, and, and it begins to... And all of a sudden, could you imagine that as they're going, they go, Look over there! And a finger grows back. I don't know. I mean, and then they see the cleanness and they look at the other dude and they go, wow, look at you, man. Your skin, the olive color's back. And 10 of them go running to the high priest because they're satisfied that they got their healing. But one stops. He says, wait a minute. I got my healing. And he runs back to Jesus. And it says in the portion of Scripture that he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Him thanks. He, The first person that he was allowed to touch now was Jesus. And he didn't want to miss that moment. And he produced love. And he produced joy. And he produced the very nature of God's healing that was produced in him. He brought it back to Jesus to embrace Him to worship Him and to thank Him. Jesus said, weren't there ten? Why is there only one? And guess which one? The Samaritan. The half-breed came back. Jesus loved to, loved to preach about those who were the least of the world that responded to Him. And, and He's embracing Him. You see, the others were consumers. They got what they wanted and they went on their way. How many Christians simply just get from God and forget about Christ? We get our salvation from Him, got what we need, and we move on. We covet our blessings while we deny the One who gives it. You see, something's produced in us in contentment. We say, I'm satisfied with you. And if you're not satisfied with Jesus, you need to take another look. You need to go back in the Word. You need to get back into prayer. You need to get back into worship and fall at His feet with a grateful heart. That's how we break coveting. Number two, convenience. Convenience. I think this is such a genius move by Staples, Office Depot. I don't know who they are anymore. Everybody bought each other out. I think Staples is Office Depot, who also is Office Max. Anyways, that place. The easy button. Doesn't anybody watch that and go, I could use one of those? And you don't need two because just one does everything. Convenience. We have convenience stores. Food is convenient. Right? Drive up. Banking's convenient. I don't have to get out of my car. I don't even I don't even have to take my checks to the bank anymore. I take a picture of them. That's convenient. I just need someone to feed me now. It's convenience. Everything's convenient, convenient. We need to make church convenient. Remember Robert Shuler? He, he bought a drive, drive-in movie theater so you can go to church and not get the kids out of the car. Just sit in the drive-in church. It was convenient, Right? Oh, we need convenience because we we just have to serve the flesh. You know, another word for convenience is laziness. The Old Testament word is sloth. One of the seven deadly sins. How many of you know that God's not convenient? (laughs) He's very inconvenient. He demands. We need to make Jesus more convenient. He gives us everything we need. When we want it. He's so convenient. I need a new parking lot. I need to get close to the doors at the mall. God, would you give me a parking spot? How convenient of God. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. I got a close spot. How dare us? How dare we? After the convenience of eating lunch, we now don't want to walk. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, political prisoner of Russia sent to the gulag and, and, and wrote about it. In 1978, he gave a Harvard address and he said this, In the United States, the difficulties are not a minotaur or a dragon we have to fight. It's not imprisonment, hard labor, death, government harassment, or censorship. But what it is, is greed, boredom, sloppiness, and indifference. Not the acts of a mighty, all-pervading, repressive government, but the failure of a listless public to make use of the freedom that is their birthright. We're just lazy. We've made everything so convenient, we covet more, yet we're still restless and unhappy why because it's feeding flesh and flesh is never satisfied it's simply convenience just appeals to the laziness of our flesh but like i said a producer god wants us to be a producer and god's got an answer for convenience he wants zeal out of his people He wants a fire in your bones. He wants you to begin to produce things. But that takes action. That takes purpose. That takes fire. And a zeal that God wants. A zeal to consume. Did you ever consider what God says in Scripture? Earnestly desire the greater gifts. Seek me. Ask. Knock. Right? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be what? Filled. If you seek me with all your heart. God is inconvenient. He wants to shake you and get you productive. But you got to get the dust off your Bible. you got to get the, the uh, oil of the Holy Spirit to loosen up the gears of your spirituality and begin functioning again. Begin to give, begin to give, begin to give. Many of you are too wounded to give. Many of you feel like, I can't give, I've I've been hurt. And and I don't mean to offend you, maybe some of you it's real raw right now. I understand, but one of the most important things about being wounded or hurt or or being crippled in something is what happens is you become self-medicating. You ever see a dog with a wound? It just keeps licking it. After a while you have to bandage it, you have to move it because the dog will keep the wound alive because it keeps licking it and opening it and licking it and so do we. And one of the quickest ways to bring healing is to stop licking your wounds and start giving to others. Begin producing. I don't feel like it, I've been burned, I've been hurt. But if you'll take your eyes off yourself, he who loses his life and seeks to give it to another, you'll find healing, because what begins to flow out of you is the love that you had lost in the last relationship. You'll find you can start producing it again. And So, zeal and the passion to care. We've made loving Jesus a matter of convenience. It's inconvenient to stand in the presence of a holy God. And in the end, again, I shared with you 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, the Bema seed of Christ, we will be judged according to what we did with what he invested in us. It's not about losing your salvation at that judgment seat. It says you shall be saved, but you may suffer loss because you realized you collected a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble, which is very convenient to pick up. But gold, silver, and precious stones is very inconvenient because you have to dig for it, work for it under the ground. And these are the things, the zeal that we have for God, the use and producing of His nature out of us. Amen? Amen. The third C is being critical. What happens when we covet and when we want convenience, we get critical. Right? Don't you notice that? Yeah, because we get critical because it's not convenient to do it. really angers me that the buttons on the automatic teller of the drive through at my bank are too low. And the engineers, the car engineers, made the, the window too high. I have to take my seatbelt off and move down to hit the buttons. That's inconvenient. No, I'm serious. That's inconvenient to me. I need to complain to somebody. So we're critical. We're agitated. Critical of this and critical of that. Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others' according to their needs unwholesome talk if you'll study the scriptures what unwholesome talk does is it grieves the holy spirit grieve not the holy spirit and we use that verse all the time don't grieve the holy spirit we're pentecostals we like to move the holy spirit hallelujah don't stop us short you'll grieve the holy spirit that's not what it means grieving the holy spirit has everything to mean with your attitude towards other people Gossip, slander, criticism, and so forth. Paul says that we're to build other people up. We're to edify them. So to edify other people. Now, I caught this yesterday in studying it, and it says that you're to build up others according to their needs. Well, that's what I'm critical about. (laughs) Right? They need to be better at what they do. That's why I'm a little ticked at them. You're a little bit slow with the cheeseburger. Come on. But I'm supposed to build them up in their need. They need to be have a better work ethic. I need to encourage them in their work ethic. But I'm critical of their work. Do you see? He says you're to begin edifying in the areas of their need. I'm stuck on a bus next to someone who really smells. So instead of going, I need to help them. Would you like a piece of gum? (laughs) We're so critical. Have you noticed that we're in a society of critics? We're critical of everything. It's funny, though. I find it fascinating. We are so critical on every move people make. They're driving too slow. I need to go around them. They're stopping. Oh, they didn't stop. They ran right through that stop sign. Hey, they're on my bumper. What the heck? Man, we're critical if they're too slow. We're critical if they're too fast. We're critical of everything. But yet, in competitions, no one should get first place, second place, third place. Everybody should get a trophy. That's weird. This race was fixed, man. My kid won. What was the score? Well, we don't keep score because we don't want anyone to feel like they're losers. It's weird. We live in a weird world. We criticize everything. You know, David H. Fink, a psychiatrist of the Veterans Administration, wrote an article a number of years back, and he did a... 10,000 person case study he discovered that there was a common trait with all his patients that suffered from nervous and severe tension. They were habitual fault finders constant critics of people and everything around them. Those who were free from tension were less critical. His conclusions were that the habit of fault finding is a prelude or a mark of the nervous and mentally unbalanced. Are we on our way? (laughs) Because again, to edify is to build up. How can I edify someone else unless I'm not edified myself? You see, I stand in a place where I have received the, the glory and blessings of God. I've got what I want. I'm satisfied. I'm content in God. So I can esteem others more highly than myself because He has crowned me with glory and favor. Do you walk like that? You're the favor of God. Amen? You have the grace of God. So start giving it away. Right? You're a blessed people. God honors you. He loves you. Give it away. Give it away. Stop being critical. You're on a journey with His Spirit. You carry it wherever you go. So these three C's we can overcome because His nature's in us. I don't need to covet because I've got Christ. Everything else pales next to Him. And I don't need to to be uh, uh, have more convenience in my life, I am going to zealously give my heart to Christ and sacrifice and work. I'm not done with my work. This is how I raised my children. This is what I believed in my family early on. I determined my work for my family and my children was not done till my head hit the pillow. And I gave and I gave and I gave and I've reaped the reward from that in love. And so I don't need convenience, I need zeal. And last of all, I don't need to complain and I don't need to be critical because I've got all the joy of God and I'm going to give it away. I love giving it away. Wow, it is so much fun to come up to people who are down and out, people uh, who need finance, people who need something, and you go to them and 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 you're not critical of them, you say, what can I do for you? What do you need? Let me pray with you. You know, Jesus has filled my life. Let me help you get filled. Come on, we're dispensers of the joy of God, the nature of God, amen? Amen. It's awesome. So to edify people. And so let me bring the point home with a story that I love to tell about Teddy Stoddard. Teddy Stoddard. Teddy Teddy Stoddard was an unmotivated fifth grader. Fifth grade, man, that's tough enough right there. He was difficult to like, especially for his fifth grade teacher, Miss Thompson. She had to look at Teddy. Because Teddy was long faced, he was deadpanned, he was expressionless, he was unfocused, always staring out the window. She always had to call him to attention. He didn't seem to care about anything. He didn't enter in, into any questions. He never raised his hand. He never had a comment. He stayed aside. He always slowed down the class when they were moving. He just sat there. He was a bump on the log, this kid. Now Ms Thompson really prided herself. She said that she loved all her students, cared about all of them, but secretly, she really didn't like Teddy, because she was critical of his attitude. Kid need to get with it. Kid was just a bump on the log, And he was inconvenient in her classroom and she was a little upset because he kept pulling down the grade average of the classroom and Miss Thompson always prided herself on having the highest grade average of fifth graders every year. Teddy was going to bring that down. Inconvenient having him there and she's critical because she can't get the kid motivated and he's just a pain. So whenever she graded his, his uh, papers, she boldly put the F in red big so that he'd get the point. Get with it, Teddy. But if she would have read his class records, she could have learned something about Teddy. She didn't want to bother. It was a bit inconvenienced to take the time to read about the kid. But she would have saw this. In first grade, It said that Teddy shows promise with his work and attitude. He Yet he has a poor home and family situation. In second grade, it said, Teddy could do better, but his mother is seriously ill and he receives little hope or help or attention at home. In third grade, it said, Teddy's a good boy, but he's too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. In fourth grade, Teddy's very slow. He's well-behaved, but his father shows no interest in him. Fifth grade, well, that was Miss Thompson's chance to write something about Teddy. She had yet to finish the year out to see what she would write. So far, she didn't have anything good to say. He was inconvenient, and she was critical of him. Well, one Christmas... As kids do with their teachers, they all brought gifts in to Miss Thompson, and, and, and Teddy was the same. He felt the need and the pressure to do it, and each of the kids had a pretty package with a bow on it and a card, and Teddy didn't have a card. He had uh, a package that he had wrapped up in <clears throat> a newspaper, and it was poorly wrapped and put together, and when she took his, she said, thank you, Teddy, and unwrapped it, and what she found was uh, a rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume and the kids saw that and they began to laugh at Teddy and some level of her compassion came out and she said now children and she put the bracelet on and it was kind of big and missing some stones and she sprayed the perfume on and said thank you Teddy it smells nice. After class was dismissed and she was gathering up her presents that were given to her, she noticed Teddy had lingered in the classroom. Came up to Ms. Thompson at the end and said, "Miss Thompson, in a very quiet and meek voice, he said, my mom's bracelet looks good on you. And he said, you smell like my mom. Thank you for liking my gift. And he went out. As Thompson went home, and she fell on her knees. She said, oh God, what have I done? She realized that all the attitude she had with this boy, she didn't recognize how she had been cutting him off. And yet, even in doing that, this little boy Gave all that he had. He had nothing else to give but his treasured bracelet of his mother. He had looked to Miss Thomas as someone who was a mother figure. But something began to be produced in the heart of that teacher. She went from consuming and critical And inconvenience to now have a zeal to care and a passion to show love to Teddy. She was changed by the nature of God within her that began to produce a Christ likeness towards Teddy. The next day the children came to school and they were welcomed by a new teacher. Miss Thomas was new. She was changed. She had a renovation of the heart and she no longer was critical or worried about her class grades or anything else. She actually now cared about Teddy and she began to care about all the other students. It wasn't about grades and it wasn't about her image and it wasn't about the convenience of the class. She began to produce the nature of Jesus. She began to care she began to give. She began to focus in. She no longer looked at the speck in their eyes because she removed the beam out of her own and she saw the hearts and lives of children. She became a teacher that now was a priest and a king and a prophet for the kingdom of God to these little lives that she served and she could see their needs and she began to pour into Teddy and love on him and give to him and Produced the very heart of Christ to him. That year, at the end of the school year, she wrote in his records, Teddy has improved and gone from D's to B pluses. Teddy is smiling and attentive. Teddy is a changed boy. She didn't hear from Teddy for a while until she got a letter. The letter read this, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that I graduated second in my high school class. Love, Teddy Stollard. She treasured that note. Four years go by and she receives another letter and said, Dear Ms. Thompson, they just told me that I would be graduating first in my class at college. I wanted you to be the first to know the university hasn't been easy, but I learned to get through it by you. Love, Teddy Stollard. Finally, a few years later, she re- received another note and said, Dear Ms. Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D., How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. Like that leper, he ran back to the image of Jesus. And there will be many in your lives that will run back to the image of Christ in you if you would pour out. He said, I'm getting married next month and I want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat. My father passed away. Will you come? And as he walked down the aisle and he looked over in the front row, there was Miss Thompson in the front row sitting where his mother should have sat, smiling, their eyes locked, and he was so elated. Because Mrs. Thompson began to produce love, patience, kindness, peace, Goodness, faithfulness, joy, gentleness, and self control. These are the fruit of God's Spirit. These are the nature of God Himself that you and I possess to produce. And we were called to produce. The nature of God through us in many big and small ways. That is holiness. Church, this is what it is to be holy, to bear the nature of Christ. You are a holy people, you bring this nature to your classmates, to your work partners, to your neighborhood, to your family, you represent the holy nature of Christ. We're learning to do this in greater measures and in greater ways. till the day when we stand before Christ and He says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For you have done it, To the least of these, you've done it to me. And what is it? Sharing his nature. Let's bow our heads.